You are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. God is good. And all the time. We are really glad that you're here this morning. We're, we're going through this series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit isn't these virtues that we try and become on our own. The, the fruit of the Spirit is what God is doing in us to make us more like Jesus. And that's, that's reassuring to me to, to know that even when my spiritual energy runs out, God is still working in me to make me more like Jesus Christ. And my job is to cooperate with him. Amen? Be encouraged, people of God. If you know Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you to comfort you, to remind you that you're his child, and to produce the character of Christ in you. Last week we talked about love, and this week we're going to be talking about joy, the second fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today is joy. Anybody ever struggle to have joy in their life? All right, a bunch of honest people. I can pastor honest people. I love that. But today we do have a special uh, guest speaker today, uh, my friend Pastor Mike Hernandez. Mike is a pastor uh, in Miami and has been at several churches in Miami. He's part of our group of churches, and he's currently uh, at Hope Fellowship. Is that correct? And what part of Miami is that in? Westchester. It's in Westchester. So he came a long, long way, probably like a five-hour drive from, from southwest Miami with the traffic. But uh, let's welcome him. Let's give him a hand. And uh, I'm going to pray for Pastor Mike and then turn it over to him. Lord Jesus, we pray for the preaching of your word today that your people would be encouraged and convicted and softened and emboldened by your love and that you might produce joy in us even as we hear about the fruit of the Spirit being joy. Be with Mike. Give him the words to say. Let him know that you're with him. Open our hearts that they may be soft and ripe to be changed by the word. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, New City Fellowship. Um, How many of you have actually been to Westchester down in Miami? Good. Don't go there ever, okay? You're welcome in advance. Um... Well, it is so good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm excited. So I, I'm, I am joyful about preaching about joy. All right? so this is like my favorite thing to preach on. So John, thank you so much. Uh, you guys got a great thing going here. So again, I'm, I'm very excited to be uh, in your hearing this morning. Um, I am actually, you know, I came solo. Uh, my wife and children could not be here. Uh, my wife is sick. Um, I got her sick. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, and then, then I must have gotten our youngest child sick too. So uh, I'm doing a good thing. Uh, parent of the year. <laughs> All right. Well, our text for this morning comes from the book of Galatians. And we're going to be reading from chapter 4, verses 8 through 15 as we continue our series, or your series, on fruit of the Spirit. And like John said, we're going to be speaking about joy. All right. So follow along with me as I read Galatians 4, 8 through 15. This is God's word. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. 
But now you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for, also, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. All right, that is God's word. Let me say a quick word of prayer. Almighty God and Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, for your grace. We thank you that joy is ours already in Jesus, and that is fantastic news. And my hope and prayer for New City Fellowship is that you take us, each and every one of us, deeper into the truths of the gospel this morning. And as for me, Lord, that I simply ask that you would give me the ability to preach, teach, reach, and minister. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So how many of you actually grew up with story time before bed? Good for you. Good for you. All right, so maybe... Did my sarcasm give away the fact that I didn't? I'm, I'm a little bit bitter about that, you know? Um, my dad wasn't much of a reader. Um, my mom wasn't either. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this moment to tell you a story that hopefully won't put you to sleep, okay? Now, the story is apocryphal, completely made up. But it's the experience of this fictitious, fictitious character that I hope will hit home for you, okay? And Steve is a single man in his 30s who deals with the ups and downs of his depression every day. And when he was 10, his father left the family and Steve was raised by his mother and grandparents. And throughout his childhood, the family moved a lot, so Steve always felt like the new kid on the block. Then, in his 20s, he met Julie. And for the first time, he felt like someone other than his mother and his grandparents cared for him. His life finally seemed to come together, but two years later, their relationship came to an end. In the six years since, Steve had hoped and prayed that Julie would come back. She never did. Now, Steve also grew up going to church, and he considers himself a believer, but with his life and emotions flattened, he finds scripture passages and Christian, quote-unquote Christian advice, either boring or stupid or repulsive, sometimes all three at once. The responses of fellow Christians to his problem, problems like, maybe you should think of yourself less, or maybe you should fellowship more, or have you been reading your Bible or praying at all lately? have only left him feeling more bitter, flattened, and depressed. Steve wants help. He hates being unable to function, and he takes the slightest thing that goes wrong in his life as evidence that God is either cruel, doesn't care, or has abandoned him altogether. He knows something is off and things need to change. But what? 
And so I'm going to answer that question by diagnosing Steve with a severe case of hijacked joy. You see, Steve's joy is completely circumstantial. If things are going well, his joy is up. If things are rough, he's down in the dumps. Does that sound familiar at all? See, plenty of times, maybe even most times, that's us. Too often our happiness comes from happenings. Too often we count our bumps and bruises more than our blessings. That's a problem. That's our problem. And like Steve, we suffer from hijacked joy because our joy is tethered or tied to things other than God. Tethered or tied to things like comfort, security, significance, approval, affirmation, and acceptance. Just to name a few. But the gospel declares and demonstrates that God has done everything, everything, everything necessary to capture your attention and your heart with what will make you increasingly and eternally happy. He gave you himself in Jesus. Focus on Jesus and you get joy. Focus on anything other than Jesus as the source of your joy and you, you don't get either of them. Jesus or joy. You lose both. And so here's the thing. God is all about seeking your joy but never apart from him. Even the good gifts God providentially gives us that bring us joy are not an end in and of themselves, but are meant to point beyond themselves to the giver. And how do I know this? How do I know this is true? I know this is true because to love us, to love us, God must give us what is best for us, and what is best for us is God. If God is the foundation of our faith then he'll be the source, sustainer, and substance of our joy. A joy founded on anything other than God is misplaced and will always be hijacked. And how do we know that's true? Because God, listen to me, God is not in the business of rescuing your idols. He wants to destroy them. And I'm going to prove it to you. Just the other night, my wife and I are talking right before bed, and we're recounting a recent painful and frustrating experience that we had, okay? And so I'm sharing with her how I've processed this experience, and I said, you know, God wrecked me, completely wrecked me, and he exposed things, idols, in my heart that I didn't know I had. And I'm a pastor. I shouldn't be having idols. But it's true. And so across from our bed, I, there's, there's a shelf, you know, with a bunch of pictures. And, and I point to the shelf and I said, you know, if, if, if my idols were on a shelf like that, God didn't just clear the shelf. He tore it down. And he destroyed the idols, but I also felt like he destroyed me. And the beauty of that is, is that, let me tell you something, just here's a freebie. Um, here's a freebie about the way God destroys our idols. It's never punitive. It's always redemptive. 
Always. And that's great news. And it hurts because it hurt the heck out of me. It hurt my wife. And like, I felt destroyed. But God destroyed me in order to build me back up. And he's doing the same for you. And that should bring us joy. And so, you see, my problem was that I was looking to the wrong things. I was trusting in the wrong things. And here's the point. You see, whatever you trust in, whatever you trust in, however good, in your own mind or your, to your own uh, discernment, however good, whatever you trust in, from that very thing, you expect happiness. And we all do it. You see, I was trusting in something else other than God in Christ to make me happy, but idols never deliver the results we had hoped they would, so we were left joyless. And this brings us to Galatians. So several years ago, I was listening to a radio show, um, and probably you guys, you might know, The White Horse Inn, it's a few pastors and theologians that get together, and they're always talking about great stuff. And so several years ago, they did uh, a featured episode on Galatians, okay? And so what was interesting is how they went about uh, going, uh, about doing the episode. So what they did was, is they spent a day at a Christian university interviewing random students, asking them what they thought the book of Galatians was about, right? It's a Christian university. And the answers they got were just awful, okay? They, I mean, they were really bad. And so one girl, one girl out of the dozens of students they asked got it right. And her answer was, the book of Galatians is about justification by faith alone. But here's my problem with the way they went about doing their episode. They went to the wrong Christian university. I'm kidding. That's not true. I don't know where they went. Okay? But... Here's my problem with it. They made the book of Galatians about one thing. Now, Galatians is certainly, I think, even mainly about justification by faith alone. It's not less than that, but it's certainly more. Galatians is about justification by faith, but it's also about life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. It's also about Christian freedom, adoption into God's family. And it seeks to answer the question, who belongs to the people of God? But what you won't hear much is that Galatians is about hijacked joy. And that's what I'm going to be focusing on this morning. See, Galatians was written to Christians who had their joy hijacked. False teachers called Judaizers had turned up telling the Galatian Christians that it was great that they were saved by faith in Jesus and all, but they needed to observe the law also. So essentially they were arguing that a true Christian needs Jesus, but also the law. A gym, Jesus, was, a Jesus alone was simply not enough. And so what they were attacking was the totality and the sufficiency of Christ for salvation. And the result of this new che- teaching was hijacked joy, stolen joy. And so I'm going to prove that this morning by talking about two things. Say two. Two things this morning. Two. Lost and found joy. Lost and found joy. So lost joy. And Paul says something interesting in 2 Timothy 3, 2-4. Listen to what he says. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, 
without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's an encouraging list. Now, what's interesting is that the times of difficulty in the last days Paul is talking about is directly linked to this list of disordered loves. In other words, Paul is saying that the things that will become difficult, things will become difficult because people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, and so on. And so what this should tell us is that we have lost joy because we've overdosed on self-fulfillment and self-expression. As one author put it, if life is about self-fulfillment, then it's only as good as our last experience. If life is about self-expression, then it's only as good as our last performance, end quote. Now, I think this is why our generation, more than any other before, it suffers from anxiety, insecurity, and depression. See, a life that directs its self-focus towards dreams, desires, significance, and status can never be sustainable, ever. That life would crack either under the pressure to achieve or the failure to achieve. And sadly, self-expression and self-fulfillment have become a new form of salvation by works. And what do I mean? See, if self-expression is only as good as my last performance, then I perform to save myself from feelings of inadequacy that feed my unhappiness. And if self-fulfillment is only as good as my last experience, then I am bound to seeking an experience that will outdo the last one. Essentially, my happiness is tied to how good the, the, the next experience is. And if I can't match the greatness of my last experience, I will, I will work twice as hard to duplicate the last experience so I could be happy again. You ever been there? I know I have. But if we could just be honest, real, real talk, doesn't that sound exhausting to you? It's because it is. It's because it is exhausting. Salvation... Salvation by works is always exhausting. Everyone who seeks to be saved by their works suffers from what I call the Sisyphus syndrome. Now, I don't usually talk about Greek mythology when I preach, but when I do. But when I do, Sisyphus is my go-to. All right, so Sisyphus was a powerful and clever king with some bad habits. He was greedy, deceitful, and murderous. Now, Sisyphus upset some of the gods by his murderous behavior and his lying. And when they finally caught him, they commanded him to the labor of pushing a huge rock up a steep mountain that would, as soon as he would get up, would fall back down again and again and again and again forever. So they commanded him to the awful task of accomplishing nothing. And this was the kind of behavior Paul is arguing against in Galatians. The thing is, Paul calls these things weak and worthless. To live for self-expression and self-fulfillment are weak because they can't sustain you. And they're worthless because they, they accomplish nothing. Neither can save you or bring you joy. Salvation by works 
and the sin it breeds, because this is the thing about sin, right? And we're all good at it, all right? The thing about sin is that it'll make you happy, but it just won't leave you that way. And so we have lost joy by overdosing on self-fulfillment and self-expression, but also by turning joy into something solely circumstantial, like our buddy Steve. And so, hear me, there's a facet of joy that is circumstantial, because it's completely okay to be happy when things are going well, right? But biblically, joy goes beyond being solely circumstantial. Joy in Scripture is actually a quality of life more than it is a feeling. That's why Paul can say we can be sour, uh, sour, sourful. We can be sourful. I just made up a new word. We could be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Joy, according to Scripture, is the steady, settled, constant quality of life anchored in the gospel. That's what joy is. But since we've reduced joy to a feeling only, and since feelings come and go, We've turned joy into a quest instead of a quality of life. And so what do we do? We search for it. We're always searching for joy either at the bottom of a bottle or the glowing screens of a smartphone. And for most people, the quest for joy ends up leading to despair. That's ironic, isn't it? You search for joy and you end up in despair. How so? We pursue joy in possessions, we end up in debt. We pursue joy in the success of our kids, we end up disappointed. We pursue joy in relationships, we end up frustrated with the other person's faults. We pursue joy in achievements, and joy ends up being a do-it-yourself project. Any quest for joy apart from Christ is a search for lesser joy, which is no joy at all. And this was a sin of the Galatian Christians. You see, they searched for joy, not necessarily apart from Christ, but by adding something to Him. So essentially what they were doing was reversing the gospel by reducing it. It's almost like addition by subtraction. And this is what they're guilty of. So let's revisit our text. Now just listen. In verses 8 through 11, Paul asked the Galatians how they could turn their back to things that are weak and worthless. They're turning back, they're turning back to bondage, and their turning back to bondage has made Paul think he has wasted his time with them. And we know this because in verse 11 he says, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul's saying, hey, I think I may have wasted my time with you guys. But then he proceeds to... Uh, to plead or to beg with them, to reconsider. He reminds them of their past love for him, how they accepted him despite his physical ailment, which seems to be some sort of eye condition, right? Because he says later, you would have even gouged your eyes out and given them to me. You see, the Galatians were so full of gospel joy that even Paul's eye condition didn't bother them. Didn't bother them at all. And that all changed when they started entertaining this false teaching. And now Paul's considered their enemy. And what's interesting is that instead of Paul asking what their problem was with him, 
Instead of asking where they went wrong, he asks in verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? Now, being hashtag blessed in today's use means plenty of things. You know, most times it means like some, some good fortune that has come from you, uh, to you from some external higher power. Right? And like athletes and celebrities love to use it that way. Right? So when athletes win a game or they have a great performance, they're, they're what they say, you know, oh, can you tell us about your performance? Oh, I'm, just, I'm blessed. Or celebrities, when they win awards, right? And what do you attribute it to? I'm, just, I'm blessed. And so being hashtag blessed has come, become this hocus pocus Harry Potter incantation with no meaning in particular. It means nothing at all almost. And to add insult to injury, our English translations don't help, okay? Because verse 15 is a case in point. It says this. It says, what then has become of your blessedness? What then has become of your blessedness? What does that even mean? How weird, like, and think about this for a second. How weird would it be for you or for me, like when my kids are arguing, your kids are arguing, you say, hey, 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 what's become of your blessedness? It's just, it's just weird. It's almost out of place. But it's actually completely intentional by, Paul, um, in Paul's, by Paul's part. This is what he says. This is what he means. And I think Paul has, you know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uh, in mind. You think of the Beatitudes. So what has come of your blessedness? Well, blessed blessing and or blessedness in Scripture doesn't mean material or athletic good fortune. It means happy. I think of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, right? Jesus is saying happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so our English translation really messes this up. And we come to verses, when we come to verses like Galatians 4.15, we miss the point. Because Paul is asking them, what has become of your joy? Where is your joy gone? And they lost it. But Paul wants to help them get it back, and he wants to help us too. And he does this by reminding them that joy is found in their adoption and the freedom that comes along with it. You see, lost joy can be found again in the gospel. You see, we were outcasts once, separated from Christ, alienated from God, strangers to covenant promises, without hope in the world. We were outcasts once. You know what else? We were dead ones, hostile to God, children of wrath, bound by sin, wearing our chains with willing eagerness, kept in the coffin because of our sin condition, because of our trespasses. We were blind to beauty and dead to joy. But now, but now, By the work of God in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, we have been made alive, alive to God and enlightened by the Spirit. We've been accepted and adopted into God's family because everything Jesus Jesus accomplished for us on on our behalf. And what's amazing about adoption, what's amazing about this gift that God has given us in Christ is that what was Jesus's by nature has become ours by adoption. You got it all, man. You're on the receiving end of everything. That's amazing news. In Christ, you and I got it all. Everything. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. 
And Paul says in Ephesians 1, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, being united by, uh, to Christ. So a few things by way of application. A few things by way of application. First, maintain a steady diet of gospel. That means you need to be intentional about preaching the gospel to yourself daily. How do you do that? Remember that God in Christ has done everything necessary to make you happy. He gave, him, he gave you himself. And second, remind yourself that even on the worst days, even on the worst days, God's mercies are new. Every single morning, form-fitted for that day, God's mercies are new. And lastly, remember that you are not your past abandonment. You're not even your past abortion. You are your present adoption. And that is fantastic news. You see, you don't have to carry around the past guilt or shame because Jesus carried it for you on the cross. He dealt with it. He absorbed it. and He exhausted it so that you wouldn't have to. So you wouldn't have to carry that around. And so the, what, is, what are the implications of that for our joy? Well, now we could live from joy instead of for it. I'm going to leave you with this. This is like my favorite passage in Scripture. It's Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Isn't that amazing? You know what Habakkuk is saying? Everything he pointed out, the fig trees, no herd in the stalls, right? None of that stuff. You know what he's saying? He's like, though I may not have covenant blessings, which is proof of God's favor and grace, even though I don't have those things, I'll still rejoice. I'll still take joy in the God of my salvation. So I don't know what situation you're dealing with. But you could say with confidence, though this happen, though that happen, though I may have this or may not have that, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Can I pray for you guys? Almighty God and Father, um, we have the terrible tendency of going after lesser joys. My hope is that through the realities of the gospel, Lord, that you would help us focus on actual joy that is found in Jesus. Lord, we all search for happiness somewhere, some way. But by virtue of our union with Christ, we have joy already. And we thank you for those truths. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that grace is this patient, never-ending flow to us because of the goodness, because of your goodness. Continue to flow it our way. Remind us that mercies are new every single morning, that we don't have to depend on yesterday's mercies for today's things. Remind us that you love us with an everlasting love. Remind us, Lord, that even on our worst days, 
our position, our stance before you is not altered. Remind us that on our worst days, you still view us for Christ's sake as the most innocent people you've ever known. And we thank you for the goodness of the gospel. We thank you for those news. Encourage us, I pray. Be with New City Fellowship. And Lord, as they, as they hear the gospel now, my hope is that you would put it on their lips as they go out on mission. And that they would continue to be a light in the midst of darkness. And as you take them deeper into the truths of the gospel, that that would have a horizontal reality and they would continue to go out and preach the good news of Jesus because we all need it. We are broken people. And even here, Lord, we've come today as a people crawling on broken glass, but the reality is there's hope because there's Jesus, and that is good news. We pray these things in your name. Amen.